Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. The pandemic really showed how fragile our food system is. And increasingly, more lawmakers, even those outside of the Agriculture Committee, are talking about food as a national security issue. They are talking about food as a climate issue. And those are conversations that at the top line, national security and climate are everywhere kind of right now, especially with the Biden administration, with the BBB package, with infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And it all trickles back down to what are our production streams? What are our supply chains like? Are they resilient? Are they not? Those are conversations that going into this year and discussing a farm bill, discussing a potential climate-focused spending package, discussing an omnibus financing package, is all going to be impacted. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And yeah, those are some cows. Because today I'm talking to Politico agriculture reporter Jimena Bustillo. I've seen so many cows on these trips, uh, which Twitter is very into the cows. Himina has been all over the United States this Well, week. Senator, thank you very much. And uh, a real big thank you to the Roby family. Paul, it's great to see you again. And uh, I have been on this farm before, and uh, it's an amazing example of the entrepreneurship that I think is prevalent. Packing along with Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack on a tour around ranches and meat production plants in Ohio, Colorado, and Arizona. As the Biden administration puts money and time into breaking up the four big meat processors, we end up with an industry like the meat processing industry. A line that President Biden re emphasized in his press conference this week. But capitalism without competition is not capitalism. Capitalism without competition is exploitation. It's exploitation. He says that a lot, and that might tap into a little bit of how he's trying to cater towards rural, maybe a little bit more right-leaning communities. So today, what the Biden administration wants and whether those plans are going to work. For decades, there has been increasing consolidation within the meat and poultry processing industry. And everyone has kind of always known that, but it really came to a head in early 2020 when large meat packing plants shut down because workers were being infected with the coronavirus. And that resulted in there not being meat in stores. So even though there was plenty of meat existing in the country and ready to process and and ready to be sold to consumers, it couldn't be. And then consumers didn't have anything to buy. So the Biden administration came in swinging and has really not held back over this first year going after the big four meat packers accusing them of driving up prices, of consolidating the industry, of pushing ranchers and farmers out of their ability to earn a living, uh, pushing consumers to spend more money on regular produce, and in turn has invested billions of dollars to help support small and regional 
meat supply chains. But there's a lot of questions still about how that will work. So going back to the problem, if we were writing a book, I think you had this in your newsletter, we could call it like the push against big meat. So like, who are the big four? What is big meat? It just sounds so funny. Big meat is largely JBS, Tyson, Cargill, and National for beef. And then for pork, Smithfield, JBS, Tyson, and Hormel. And for chicken, Tyson, JBS, Purdue, and Sanderson. Now, those are probably household names that you've seen in grocery store packaging, when you go to buy chicken nuggets, when you go to buy steaks, when you go to buy hamburgers, you've likely largely seen those names. Maybe you can even picture some of their packaging and their designs. They have largely taken over the meat processing market. So folks who want to ranch and send their animals to to production will largely sell to these big four. For like very little money, right? Because they if, if that's all there is, then they can drive down the, the price. Yes. And so the Biden administration has put out a lot of memos specifically targeting that, that there is an increase in what these big meatpacking production companies are selling the meat for, but the ranchers are not seeing an increase in how much, you know, each head of cattle is being bought for by these production companies. So it would technically make sense that, well, if prices are going up for consumers, then the ranchers are also receiving an increase in profit, but that's not necessarily always true. Gotcha. And so you've been in Arizona. You've been kind of here, there, and everywhere. But recently, I think you've been in Arizona (laughs) tagging along with Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack because he does what? In Arizona, he held a roundtable with some local ranchers and producers to talk a little bit about what the constraints were and kind of what the issues are, anything to do with the meat processing supply chain. But then again, to kind of reiterate that he wants to build those regional and local supply chains. Mm -hmm. So the Biden administration and Vilsack wants to kind of anticipate, you know, if another disaster happens, these facilities will not only be more prepared, but they will naturally eventually become a viable option in the marketplace, which of course will probably take a very long time, but it's a step that the marketplace had not taken before. Well, and so you had mentioned that to me before, but like, is there a fear that these are banded measures or how long is it going to take for voters and farmers to really feel the effects here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is definitely a concern. I think in all the locations that we've been in, someone, whether it's a reporter or a producer, has asked that question because it it will take a while. Vilsack told me that he hopes that with a lot of the funding, about 15 to 20 new processing plants or facilities will be able to go live, which is a decent amount. I mean, there are, he mentioned that there are about 50 really big plants of significance in the country. So this does add a little bit of variety, but there is a significant difference in the scale 
of work that these really, really big processing facilities do compared to some of these small ones. The one we visited in Denver processes 2,200 head of cattle a year. I mean, that's probably what JBS does in a day. Mm -hmm. So it... It can and it will take a while for that to become a new normal. At the same time, though, even before the pandemic, there was a trend of people caring and being a little bit more interested in where their food comes from and wanting to shop local and buy from their local rancher and their local butcher. And the pandemic really supercharged that in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. And that's what Vilsack says. He says that he thinks that this is an increasing trend and all this funding will only help kind of speed that up and make it a new normal. But again, there are a couple roadblocks in the way. Labor, climate change, just the general timeline. Biden in his comments on Wednesday even said that it's going to be a long haul. So we don't really know how soon this specific initiative will lead to a decrease in prices at stores. And how well do you think that Biden and Vilsack are actually translating their messages to farmers and ranchers? Like, how is it being received? That's a really good question. I think that there is a lot of bipartisan excitement about these new plans, Mm -hmm. whether it's from lawmakers or ranchers and farmers on the ground. But there are just so many roadblocks in the way. I talked to a lawmaker, a state lawmaker here in Arizona at the Arizona Farm Bureau's Agriculture Day at their state house. Mm -hmm. And she was a Republican and she said she was very supportive of building up small and regional supply chains. But Arizona is also facing significant drought. Um, Much of the West is facing large wildfires, all of which impact meat production. So I think a lot of ranchers are optimistic about this funding, but they want to see it in action. You know, we have different grants for different things, but how this will evolve, how the applications will be structured is yet to be seen. That being said, it is new money. So there is a little something to celebrate there. Do you know what percentage of this demographic voted for Joe Biden? Do you get the sense that it's an uphill battle for Biden and Vilsack to be communicating these goals? Well, we know that Joe Biden lost the rural vote and most of agriculture is in rural communities. And so there has definitely been a concerted effort from the Biden administration to focus on key areas of wins for rural communities and for farming communities, mm-hmm. um, recent trade negotiations, um, increases, again, to local and small meat packing. But again, as we heard in Arizona, there are a lot of concerns about whether or not the Biden administration or Congress will do anything about labor shortages, will do anything about restrictions on federal grazing, will do anything, you know, related to a slew of other things that even if this works, again, it's going to be a long haul. It's going to take years, maybe even after the Biden administration, to see any substantial 
results of 15 new small meatpacking plants going live. There definitely is probably some skepticism. I do not know and I did not ask the political leanings of a lot of the farmers or ranchers that I spoke with. Many of them seemed very eager and all of them were very thankful to have time with the secretary. But Biden did lose the rural vote and the infrastructure package has plenty of dollars that might help recover you know, some of that. But even then, there's a lot of questions about how that money will be distributed, where it will be distributed, how it will be distributed. No one really knows yet, which I think is making it a little bit difficult for Democrats to say that they're winning in rural areas or that they have won, you know, things for rural and agricultural communities. And other than getting to hang out with the cows, which seems very cool, What did you learn while on this reporting trip? I was going to say I like the cows. Um, (laughs) You could say you like the cows. I really like watching USDA and federal officials interact on the ground with people. I think that they are much more approachable. They explain things in non-Congress lingo. None of jargon. None of the jargon. Because at the end of the day, that's what's happening. We can write about how much is happening on the Hill all day. And we can run around in circles on the Hill all day. But if that money never gets implemented anywhere, if people don't know how to handle it, if local governments or if local organizations and people don't know how to use it or don't plan to use it or hate it, then all that running around on the Hill is for naught, you know? Jimena Bustillo, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Also today, after promising to do so after his election win in November, New York Mayor Eric Adams has taken his first paycheck in cryptocurrency, at least to the extent that he can. The mayor arranged to use Coinbase, a cryptocurrency exchange, to convert his paycheck today into Bitcoin and Ethereum. The move is part of his stated desire for New York to be the global capital for cryptocurrency. And the International Committee of the Red Cross revealed that hackers stole data on over 515,000 highly vulnerable people, forcing the organization to temporarily halt a program that reunites families torn apart by violence, migration, and other tragedies. The biggest concern is that the hackers might ransom, leak, or sell sensitive information on the families and their locations to bad actors, who might seek to cause further harm to victims. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our senior producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>